clubhouse. His credibility is questionable. But what really matters is that the defense wasn't able to cross-examine him, so everything he said hasn't been tested. And that is what is really unfair to the accused. So get rid of the entire idea of him from your minds. For our purposes, Joey Maldini never existed. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Tales from Yaya's, the Your Honor podcast. Tonight we're talking about part nine, the penultimate episode of the series. Maybe of just season one. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Tonight's episode of Your Honor was written by Jennifer Caciccio. I think that's how we decided to say it last time. Jennifer Caciccio. And tonight's episode was directed by Eva Sorhag. Hey, Caroline. We are wrapping up things. Threads are coming apart. The world is closing in on itself. There's chaos. Mm -hmm. There's pandemonium in the streets. Yeah, I'm ready to be in these streets, man. Let's get right to Joey, our little street gutter rat. So I had been under the impression that Joey had been hiding out this time ever since the drug bust, ever since Carla was arrested and Gina covered to allow Joey to escape. I had assumed that Joey had been hiding in a pre-established plan, that there was some kind of bug out plan. Right. I definitely thought he was only running from the cops. I didn't think he was running from the Baxters. Right. Right. Now, granted, he's been holding on to the drugs, which maybe he's, he's also using he's, those he's drugs. Been, he's, been, he's been running <laughs> through those drugs. Yeah, right. so it was kind of a surprise to find out that the Baxters didn't know where he was and have been tracking him down and chasing him to the point that he's willing to jump off a roof, to the point that he's willing to go to the cops. He turns himself in. That's yeah. a twist we didn't really see coming. I didn't see that coming at all. I mean, the begging for immunity, I was like, where is this going? Now, I did appreciate the fact that they decided to keep him all disheveled and didn't get a medical treatment or anything. I think it did lend to that like whole, this is a guy who's coming in, a desperate man who's just like really literally just jumped off a roof earlier today. So I kind of got that, but it certainly set him up as a very wigged out witness. Yeah, I think it really strains the credibility to not get him medical treatment, to not do something about that ankle. The f- uh, that's a whole that's a busy day to go from jumping out a window to a police station interrogation to the courthouse and being put on the stand all in the course of one day. That's a lot. That's a lot that doesn't seem terribly realistic to me this entire joey storyline had a lot of like starts and stops that i thought was going one way and then all of a sudden it was like screeching when he when michael lays out that he's going to expect that the defense is going to call for a recess and he's going to allow that and then totally doesn't allow that jimmy's face was like he looked like it looked like he shit his pants yes well we all did right because we were like michael what are you doing what is this now i knew when they said have joey come and be in the custody of the court and not be with the NOLA police. I thought, oh, sheesh, we're going to do something right here in the courthouse. But did you expect Michael to do the deed? No, no. So when he's setting him up and he's talking about the drinking the water, I didn't know. I thought maybe he knew about some kind of reaction that would happen if you like flooded your system with water when you're in drug. <laughs> I don't know how drugs work. I don't, I, you know. I... <laughs> Mike, do you know how much I hate mouth sounds? 
Do you know how much gulping and mouth sounds are going on and pouring the next glass of water? I am the person that at the beginning of the movie, when they when they chink the glass with the ice and then they put the soda on top, I have to like hold my ears. I'm like dying. So this constant drinking, I was like, Joey, for the love of God, you are hydrated. Knock it off. I'm not Karen from Will and Grace, and so I can't readily identify pills based on colors. Do you have any idea what it is that Michael had had uh, crushed up into the water? The only thing that I could think that he would have on him would be maybe like sleeping pills. Now, that is just a real long shot. I'm just throwing that out there because that seems like because it would be almost like a tranquilizing kind of effect where he was like gulping and gulping and gulping. Now, I I can't say other people are going to listen to this. They're going to say, duh, this is obviously whatever. But I couldn't think of what Michael would have access to so quickly and easily. Sleeping pills seems like the most likely thing. And consistent with what happens to Joey on the stand where it's not really like a seizure he goes into it's more like he's passing out with combined with the pain he's in combined with the fentanyl withdrawal he's going through uh, taking some kind of barbiturate some kind of you know depressant or tranquilizer makes a lot of sense that he would kind of just pass out like lose coherence and then pass out on the stand i don't know why it would make you so thirsty though it almost seemed like whatever was in the drug was making him thirstier than even michael had prepped him for taking a breath so. And it, um, I think that when we saw Salty that Michael pills. was, yeah, <laughs> when Michael was cleaning up his area, though, mm-hmm. it did, was it just my imagination, or were there white pills and another color pills? There, it looked to me like there was a mix of pills, right? I think so there then, was one that was like purple white, and then it looked yeah, like there was one that was all so white. So yeah. maybe there was something in that 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 could actually be like a drying effect that would make. I don't know how he would have this on him. That's the thing that I'm struggling with. You know who really questioned this entire situation? Nancy Marie. Nancy was like, what is going on? She's like looking at Jimmy, looking back over, looking at Jimmy, looking at Michael. Like she is suddenly like very certain that something's up. Michael's overplaying his hand with Nancy a little too, too much and acting too suspicious to the point we, and which we've been calling this entire time. Uh, that Michael was eventually going to do something that that finally got past Nancy's goodwill towards him and made him look suspicious. And honestly, where I'm almost judging Nancy for taking so long to see all of the wiki ass stuff. No, does no one remember Django with the bloody towel? I know. And then is that blood? Right. And then just near near. Right. <laughs> Don't look behind the band behind the curtain, you know, kind of thing. So when it really seals the deal, there's a couple things here. So she come when Michael comes up to her and catches her vaping, which gross. Um, and then but she's one of the hip kids. <laughs> right. And then but then he he kind of goes into like this very patriarchal thing about don't let anyone kind of come and take Joey away from you. Like that's a case to build your whole career on. It, it came off. He I think he meant it to be supportive and mm. it came off kind of like patriarchal to me. I thought he meant it manipulative. Like he was trying to act like he was like very on one side of the situation. Like, oh, this is very tenuous kind of thing. Because it's like, if you point that out, surely you're not the perpetrator, right? Right. Well, but exactly. I think that's, I think that's exactly what Michael was going for was I'm the same way he convinced Sarah that he's the only honest judge in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. He's doing the same thing. He, he's like, I'm on your side. Yeah, but totally. Nancy is not that kind of person to fall for that. She falls for a lot, but I don't I don't think that's really the I don't think that's the right tactic for her. And the look she kind of gives him afterwards, 
was kind of like, what the fuck was that? Well, like, that's not our relationship. It's very condescending. I mean, it's like, of course she knows that. And so she, she doesn't need to hear that kind of mess. So, I mean, come on. And she's already working so many other leads having to do with Michael's own family, can I just say? That I think she's got a lot of question marks about what's going on in the Desiato house. I think so, for sure. And so... To us, this was a whole bombshell. And so I wanna I actually wanna pause here and talk about the process of recording this show. So we get screeners from Showtime and we record these episodes well in advance of them airing. We don't go back and re-edit the episode based on the final airing version. And so there is a scene in the previously on in this episode where Senator Grandma goes to Nancy with the pictures uh, from Robin's camera, uh, which we saw. We all saw the episode where they're passed around at the dinner table. Adam mentions that they were the final pictures uh, that his mom took and Senator Grandma is looking at them and she had never seen them before. So in the previously on, there's a scene where she, Senator Grandma is in Nancy's office And they're talking about the pictures and Nancy's looking at them and saying that they're all desired gang members. She zeroes in on one kind, one specific picture of a desired gang member. And there's a picture of the man. He's wearing a hat and he's kind of blocking his face so he can't tell who he is. And then there's another picture of him, of his hat and glasses on the bed and a picture of kind of... Very disheveled. Very disheveled. And Robin taking kind of like a picture in a mirror of herself. So it's all, there's like the, the intimation being that she is having some kind of affair or some kind of relations with this guy. And Nancy, and Nancy says in the previously on, I, I think Robin was in some kind of trouble. I think these pictures were kind of meant to be that way. That wasn't in any episode that we saw in no. any screener. No, it wasn't. We would have hollered about this, you guys, because we had been predicting the Senator Grandma Nancy connection and that these pictures were finally going to bring them together and force conversations between Senator Grandma and Adam and Michael and, and things were going to start unraveling. So for sure, when we saw this, it was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this makes so much more sense. So I, if you guys saw this in an episode, please let us know, because we definitely <laughs> never saw this scene. And so we're not sure if this was just wacky editing on the show's part or if it was put into a scene post the screener, because the screeners are not final and we're told that at the time. So I'm very curious if this actually made it way into scene, because it is a scene that you and I had been predicting happening and and had been wondering why it was such a loose thread out there. We hadn't seen those pictures come back yet. And so now that there's a previously on, previously on what? Because we didn't see it. (laughs) Exactly. Previously on predictions y'all made on your podcast. <laughs> maybe that's what it was, Mike. Maybe the screeners, maybe they put that in there just for us. Because we had predicted a meeting between Senator Grandma and Nancy. You know, there is a post-it note over Nancy's left shoulder in the <gasps> shot that says for Caroline and Mike with an arrow <gasps> blinking. Oh my god. I just thought that was some another in-character <laughs> thing that we had missed, maybe. But uh yeah, we for sure would have crowed about this because this was a scene that we have been waiting for anyway. Big reveal, big reveal. And uh, is Nancy right that Adam needs to know about this? I was a little taken aback that she goes after Michael shuts it down. And I think kind of a reasonable request that let me get through this really high profile murder trial before you go blow up my family. But she goes around his back and goes to Senator Grandma and obviously plays upon her emotions to get her to tell Adam, Nancy, none of your fucking business. That's not my feeling. Well, I and I guess the idea is that maybe she does care about Adam enough that she feels like she needs to pursue this lead and it's going to come out 
whether it be in needing to talk to him as a as a potential you know witness, maybe he's seen this man around or something like that, or it's going to come out in the newspaper or something like that about the affair that she wants him to find out from a loved one. And if Michael's not going to do it, then rather than say, you know what, I will just pump the brakes on the case, she is going another route. Now, I always saw these two banding together, and I always saw Senator Grandma being the linchpin to unwrapping some of this stuff. That's how they set her up to begin with. But I thought it was fascinating that Nancy seems to have a much better grip on Michael needing to be sidelined, like action needs to be taken. I mean, once you get to that part where he's like, she's like, you knew she was having an affair and you never told any of the of the investigating uh, detectives or anybody. You never told anybody that there would be this other man out there. Like, what are you doing? You know, how do you explain that, Mike? I, I understand being upset and being hurt and you don't want your kid to know that your spouse was cheating. But how do you explain the fact that Michael didn't ever point out that there could be someone else, a known person, that that could have hurt her? I, well, it's not a great answer. It's an emotional answer. The idea he says, "I didn't know the details. I just, I, I just knew, but I didn't know the details." I think there's an emotional answer of I didn't have actual real information to contribute. There were no specifics I could add to it. And mm-hmm. so in the the pros-cons list, the, the idea of ruining Adam's memory of his mother in exchange for vague information, maybe to, to Michael, that calculus doesn't add up. Because, again, the, him not telling the investigators about the affair has nothing to do with his present circumstances of being a morally uh, defunct individual doing horrible things to keep his son alive. Well, but it makes me question his morals back then is what I'm trying to say. Like if you were really seeking justice for the person, I think you would put aside your sadness or embarrassment that there was an affair that you would want to find the killer of your wife, you know, and he doesn't, he, he opts to say, no, it's more important that Adam remain, you know, a happy kid or whatever he's trying to say, because come on now, his mom's dead. His mom is dead, you know? And the fact that there was no justice, I don't think sits well with, with anyone. So it's sort of, I I don't know. It's going off of this false premise that somehow by not revealing who potentially could have killed her, you're somehow sheltering how do you figure there's a killer walking out on the loose? Well, well, yes. And it also kind of puts in perspective, if you go backwards now to the very first episode where he's running and he leans up against her headstone, uh, mm. going way back to the very opening scenes um, on the anniversary of her death, it, it kind of puts that in a different perspective where he's not maybe grieving over her anniversary, but looks more... <sighs> undecided about their relationship because he's not crying when he's leaning up against her headstone. He looks despondent. But that could be a Robin, Robin, why did you do this kind of thing? You know, the the idea that you always always think about the final words you're going to say to someone, right? You never know what the final words are going to be, so you always want to make sure you tell someone that you love them because you never know. The idea that these two ended, her life ended in a place where they were not okay and that Mm -hmm. he knew it about an affair, but there was no resolution to it a year removed from that you could see now looking backwards that him leaning against the headstone is more like confusion and hurt about the how their relationship was frozen in time than right. than than necessarily maybe sadness even over her being gone 
Yeah. And we did get those tips about, you know, that Senator Grandma had a lot of raised eyebrow about Michael and Robin and their relationship. It always sort of pointed out that that she didn't like Michael, that she had all these issues with Michael. But it makes complete sense that Robin, we know Robin was telling her mom stuff and she's probably saying, you know, I'm being neglected. I'm not I'm not being loved the way right. I need to be loved, stuff like that. So whatever kind of thing she needs to say to, to justify what she's doing, then this allows this entire disrupted relationship between senator grandma and michael right and and in this information again hopefully it's new information to everyone and not to, not just to you and me but this new information that it was a desired gang member also well she says that all the rest are identified desired gang members no she says they're all desired guy. gang members and he's in the picture but it's this guy because then there's the next there's other than mm. the gang members on the street there's the secondary so. photo weird that robin was doing this oh my goodness you know it's inter- it's not lost on me that uh jimmy has michael meet him at the intersection of Rocco's death and says what were you even doing down here and he he goes through it that his wife was killed here it, it you think about again the opening scene with adam putting the flowers in front of yaya's our namesake mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and desire coming the black car it, it it all starts to fill in the the jigsaw puzzle that everyone would you be everyone in the facebook groups everyone on social media has been asking like about the the black car that chases off at that follows adam the desire members that run him off and cause him the initial asthma panic attack all of that now starts to starts to coalesce around the idea of robin was intimately involved with the desire activities of the lower ninth robin probably knows big mo they're going to need to explain that so much more to me as to like what was going on. I thought that they had painted a picture for us that she was like a she was like a real life gritty photographer mm-hmm. who was down there taking pictures of like social you know, justice, though, like trying yeah, to improve the lot. Yes. Not but the boning idea that, the lot. Right. The idea that suddenly she's like actually has relationships within this gang is like, wait a minute. What you're going to have to explain to us a lot more about Robin, because the only nuggets we have is the conversation with, you know, the final conversation she had with Adam about like, did you fart in the car, blah, 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 like driving him to school and all this kind of stuff. Like, I need to know a lot more about what this woman was into. There's two things. One, we said from the very beginning that Robin's story was a thread that needed to be investigated because it seemed like it rolled into the story. And so I'm happy that now as we're coming to the end, it is, it, it, we're, we're proving ourselves outright because I think it's important to pat ourselves on the back every now and then. <laughs> okay. Two, I, I wanted to go back to Nancy and the courtroom because not only does she have these weird interactions with Michael about the affair, about the, the, the condescending patriarchal tone of the, of her job, which he's not qualified to speak on, but the the looks between the bench michael on the bench and jimmy are one thing it what really seals the deal and i think what really makes nancy turn her head is the smirking of gina oh yes because gina specifically kind of turns and looks at nancy and smirks at her yeah it all kind of plays into this idea of and and it was kind of heartbreaking to listen to michael on the stand instructing the jury to say that we all need to act like joey maldani doesn't exist anymore Mm-hmm. like he's literally been taken off the board and he's been taken off the board by this judge like it's insane and frightening it, well he well frightening for who michael is he's really literally become a monster because this was actually something that with a day's worth of prep jimmy and his crew could have definitely taken care of michael didn't need to take joey off the board right he was supposed to give him overnight to be able to take care of this 
Right. And so maybe the defense for Michael is, well, I get him, I kept him from testifying and he's still alive. Uh, if I had left it to Jimmy and, and Frankie, he still wouldn't have testified, but he'd be dead. So maybe Michael's defense of his work is by me handling it, Joey continues to live. Potentially live. Uh, potentially, or at least for now is still alive and not hurting Carlo. If left to Jimmy, he'd be dead. <laughs> so yeah. and maybe, and maybe that does have value. Maybe that does have worth, but man, it, it further bloodies the hand hands of Michael Desiato, this honorable judge. Yeah, so as we finish the Nancy part of this episode, Nancy Nancy spends this episode spreading information and accidentally spreading information. Yeah, and we knew this reveal was going to happen, Mike, but I never saw this particular series of events happening, how Jimmy was going to connect Adam to Fia. Did, did you? This was tricky. You and I were positive that the realization was going to come when Fia brings Adam over for dinner and his last name comes out. And it's in the previously on, which you and I picked up on when it happened, that she says Adam and doesn't give a last name. And Jimmy says, that's it. Adam, that's it. And the show seems to have forgotten, but Michael had already told Jimmy that he's got a son named Adam, mm-hmm. which again, in the time, in the context, maybe it makes sense that he didn't hold on to the information, but here he's hyper-focused on picking up the name of Michael's son is Adam and putting the two and two together because his daughter is now so much further along in her quote unquote love for Adam. It's- the speed in which um, the Celtic goon, bam, 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 here you go, says boyfriend, Fia Baxter, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh. Hey, man, I love that Frankie's on the Insta. You know, I think that's great. There's in, in my headcanon, Frankie, when he's not doing murderous things for Jimmy, is taking like selfies and doing sunsets and showing us, you know, the pretty parts of the ginger parts of New Orleans. You know, oh I, lo- I love that headcanon. So, uh, yeah, what a big reveal. What, uh, what and- a surprise, though, of that that comes out like that. Michael Stolberg in this episode, who plays Jimmy Baxter, is doing fantastic face acting throughout this episode. In the courtroom, when Joey's name is brought up, he looks like he shit himself. The smug happiness, the nodding of his head when when Joey is taken off the board. The finding out that Adam Baxter is his daughter's boyfriend. It just scene after scene, he's just killing it here with just his face acting. Completely agree. I mean, you can see the emotions passing over him constantly. It's like it's like you know anguish, and then it's like contempt, and then it's like complete rage, and then it's like shock, just passing over his face. Just like every time the camera's on, it's like holy shit, there's another face going on over here. His face is always on the borderline of grief, stricken outburst, and rage. And he walks the line and he's always chewing on his cheek in a way that it must be raw at the end of the day of filming <laughs> scene after scene. But it, it tells you so much. It's oh, he's never his face is never relaxed. His jaw is never unclenched. But given the emotion of what's going on here, it's this weird combination of business and personal loss that he's constantly uh, wrestling with. Let, let's get into Jimmy, though, because we, we already talked a little bit about him having Michael brought to the intersection, which, Michael, you're getting in the front seat of the Celtic goon's car? Do you no, just not care at all anymore? He doesn't Nancy, care at all anymore. Nancy spends all of her fucking time outside in the parking lot of the courthouse watching the comings and goings and memorizing who is where. And, and you know what? And you're jumping in the car with him to go to this meeting? Crazy to me. So weird. But... This was a great example, again, of Jimmy having this mix of business and grief, right? Again, every time he interacts with Michael, it's always a little bit, you piece of shit, you left my son to die. How are you going to keep Carlo? I'm not going to lose a son. But also... 
Was he dead? Did you yeah. stay with him? Yeah. Wanting to review the, the events. Wanting to relive it, right? Because this guy represents to him, as far as he knows, represents the last tether to life of his son. So he wants to literally milk him for every yeah. bit of it because he needs to live it. He needs to feel it. So again, Jimmy being this really complex character, vicious mobster, violent goon, and also grieving father. And it's only been a couple of weeks in the show's timeline. So this is still very fresh loss for him doing all this stuff. And, and going back from the father's like POV, I mean, him having to stand in the room and listen to Carlo be prepped for his questioning and the way, just the body language that he gives, the way that he starts off behind Carlo in the one corner. And then as Carlo is clearly acting belligerent and like a jerk and everything, he moves himself to the other corner where he He's visible to Carlo out of that one corner of the eye. And like, and he stays in the shot then. He's always blurry in the background, but that presence that he has and that scene is, is hilarious and in so many ways that Carlo is just, oh my God. I mean, I, I give Jimmy all the credit in the world for not flying across the room and choking him out because I feel like we would all be screaming at our own kid in this situation. So we've taken a lot of pot shots at Carlo and Tyler talking about how he has like the most punchable face. I think that's a credit to Jimmy Stanton who plays him. It has really nailed the smug arrogance of this character, this, this young buck who thinks he can do it better than his father or, and or has daddy issues insofar as feels like his father doesn't respect his abilities, even in the previously on where they, t- where they reshow the coming home party, where he's bragging about killing Kofi and turning his head into a watermelon. That whole scene is about, I'm going to start a drug trade, drug operation, a side, a side hustle around my father. It, it goes into all of the edible things that we've been talking about with Carlo. And this is another scene of it. Johnny Xander, his attorney doing his damnedest to try and get through this thick skull, th- this, this troglodyte, yeah. You have to show some fucking remorse. Or you have to just back your own defense. Your defense is self-defense. You have got to answer in ways that, that actually support a self-defense, you know, plea. Like, for God's sake. The fact that he's just like, oh, the first thing I thought was kill him. It's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> right, like, right. Are you going to really say that on the stand? I mean, Johnny Sai, when he refuses to use the word terrified because of the... Yes. And it's, it's all machismo, right? And we've yes. seen the machismo work. This is Nancy's angle on him trying to get him to confess early it takes a real man to cop to it early versus coming out later most men don't have the balls kind of thing there's an episode of friends where phoebe's trying to teach joey french and so she's doing it phonetically and she goes ja and he repeats ja and he goes ma ma uh pel pel claude claude ja m'appelle claude you know, it's this idea of like you, you can teach them step by step and Carlos, Carlos parodying Johnny step by step. All right. You have to be afraid. All right. I have to be afraid. You have to fear for your life to justify the use of deadly force. I have to be, you know, I have to be afraid to justify the use of deadly force. Well, okay. What was the first thing that you thought about when he came in your cell? I want to kill the motherfucker. What <laughs> right. is wrong with you? You're doing it wrong. I just, oh, the stalking of Jimmy, though. I understand like the the, the comedy of it all going on and, the, and poor Johnny's face when he's just like, oh, my God. I, I am like, I'm getting paid for this. Thank God. But right. Jesus, God. There's but, outtakes of him oh, banging his head against the table. Yes. There has to be. There has to be. But Jimmy back there, like mm. a tiger in a cage, I tell you, I mean, he is just... 
ah, I feel for him. And then he's got to go be the father of Fia. I want, before you, because you make a great point in him moving to the corner to so that he's in. So subtle, but so But here's uh, the problem, menacing. though. Here's the problem. It is menacing for most people. But for Carlo, Carlo doesn't respect Jimmy in that way. I think if it's Frankie who's sitting across from Xander and Jimmy moves from out of his eyeline into his eyeline, Frankie snaps too, or any of his other underlings snaps too. Carlo just doesn't respect Jimmy that way because he only respects his mother. You know, th- this is the conversation of whose kid is he? You know, uh, yeah. you know, Carlo is Gina's child the same way that Fia and Rocco presumably were Jimmy's kid. And so him moving into the eyeline makes him feel like probably more sinister and more menacing. But I saw none of that in a change in Carlo's. Carlo is still acting like the same douchebag that he's always always is. So it's a little bit wasted. Yeah. And maybe even he felt a little bit like, oh, you're going to puff your chest up at me. Well, I'm going to puff my chest up at you, which is so stupid because, you know, of course, this is not the point. It doesn't matter how much you try to be like bigger man than your father over there. This is about, you know, death row. Like, come on. I don't I don't understand why Carlo doesn't get it. He truly doesn't get it. He shouldn't want to go back to prison. <laughs> right. Well, I think he sees it as like a right of path. I think he's, I think he, everything Carlo does to me seems like a young buck who's trying to prove he's a man. That this is his idea of what his father is and he's trying to do it better. Yeah. I'll take the hit. I'll go to prison. I'll do the dime. I'll, you know, whatever this, this and this, because he doesn't understand that there are actual consequences to the things he does. So he only sees it in terms of this makes me a man to act this way. And he can't yeah. see the forest through the trees. And you're 100% right. His I'll kill the motherfucker is a complete response, probably, really more to Jimmy moving into his eyeline. I kind of think it is, yeah. which is kind of what my, what makes Johnny be like, because it's like, you know, he thinks they're just doing the exercise back and forth with the two of them. And, right. and Jimmy in the background is right. enough to, like, change the whole dynamic. But now but, you're but yeah, but then he has to actually go home and be a kind of a loving father in a very difficult position. Oh, he's like the peacekeeper all the time over there. I want to play this clip because this is a really interesting clip where uh, after Fia has been ambushed by Gina, mostly Gina, Gina, again, Jimmy stalking in the corner, Jimmy not sitting on the couch. Jimmy's in the corner here. Please not just Gina, Gina and the priest. And the priest. Well, that's right. Gina's Oof. brought a priest in to kind of exercise the demons <laughs> that Adam represents, you know, I mean, the priest, I feel picks up on it right away she must very be very good in catechism class because she picks up on the fact that the priest is using adam as like the serpent in the garden of evil you know uh, the garden of eden not the garden of evil uh and and that he's this temptation leading her astray because she's in a vulnerable spot because you know rocco's death is so fresh so i want to play this this is the outburst afterwards Fida. fuck him they fuck him who do they think they are in confirmation class yesterday, you know what he said? God spake unto Abraham, kill him with a knife. Your own son, your child, a sacrifice to me. Build a bonfire to put your dead son on. And ask him to help you collect the wood first. Lie to him about what you're doing. And then, and now that you've proved by agreeing to murder your child, that there's, there's no one, no one you love more than me. You don't actually have to do it. I mean, what kind of a fucking deranged despot is that? Sweetheart. This is not you. It is me. It's all me. Do you love him? No. I hate him. Your mother met Adam, Fia, not God. 
there's so much in that monologue that she goes off on the 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 analogy of abraham being willing to sacrifice his son because god's told him to and then being like ah you're good i see that you're willing to do it you know you, you went to the point where you had like you know the the knife above his head kidding it's interesting because you have Michael ostensibly doing all of these things to try and save his son, and you have Jimmy mourning the loss of one son, but but willing to do anything he can to prevent the loss of another child. So it's curious if who's the deranged despot if you were to apply this story to the current facts at hand, because it definitely seems allegorical to our story, but I'm not sure how, like it it hasn't like revealed itself fully to me. I I do think I want to noodle on that because even just as you're saying it, I'm like, Hmm, I need to think on this a little bit because in some ways I feel like if he, if he sacrifices Carlo, he can avenge Rocco's death. And so, but it's very, or or you can look at it like he is, can sacrifice Carlo and keep Fia happy. Um, I think that the constant asking of, do they, does she love Adam is very important. That, that is the part that I like really keyed in on. I'm, I'm willing, let's put that allegory in the back of our brains and think Uh about it for next week, because I do think that it's something to, that's going to reveal itself more, but the, but the loving Adam, they take that very seriously. You can see how seriously they take it. They take it so seriously. I keyed in on it too, almost as if she loved, as if she loved him, it almost forgives anything adam might have maybe done well i think it puts like a force field around him because then it's in their love of fia they would protect adam yes that was my vibe on it too because i think it's one thing for gina to say because i i kind of dismiss gina insofar as fia goes because fia's not gina's kid can I just tell you this, the whole thing about uh, the bringing over the priest? That must be something they put in the mom handbook. Because I went through a time where I was like, I don't want to go to church. I don't I don't really want to do all this. And you know what my mother said? Well, you have to go to the church and tell that to the priest. <laughs> it's like a thing. Like, if you can say it to the face of the priest, then fine. You can do it. But, like, you have to be willing to have this meeting with the priest. And it's like, what is this? Nobody else has to do this. It's in the mom's handbook. I did not get this handbook. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's next level. It was interesting that we heard the ethnic uh, the ethnic breakdown uh, when Franny kind of is uh, is fatal attractioning the couple mm. at the at their little uh, coffee shop, and she gives like her whole ethnicity. She's like, I'm telling you on my mother's side, you know, Fia stands for Sophia. My father's Scottish, the Baxter, and then Franny's, oh, Sophia Baxter, you know, and mm. I as in the hotel. She says the little pause, yeah. and she says, so But it's interesting. It's a very cat. Catholic, Catholic grandmother, Catholic mother thing to involve the priest in your affairs oh, yeah. because you're oh, always yeah. you're always on the precipice of losing your soul to the temptations of this world. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, even on Gilmore Girls, they bring the Reverend over to talk to her about her uh, her sexuality, basically, and that like she only has like one sweater, and if she gives that sweater to a boy, she can't have that sweater back. <laughs> Uh, just just on the allegory of it, it you know, I was thinking about Jimmy and Carlo and Rocco and all that play, but there's also this idea of Michael sacrificing himself to appease the gods that need to be appeased uh, in, in so to save his son. So almost actually the reverse, where he, instead of sacrificing Adam to appease 
or avenge Farako's death, that it's almost more like Michael is maybe trying to sacrifice himself and his soul to uh, avenge and make and make his maybe. god happy. I'm gonna have to let that one simmer. That there's something there. It's, 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 little self. I highlight it. Yeah, I highlight it there because there's there's truth in there, and Fia is presented to us as as a figure who knows more than she even realizes she knows. Yeah. She's she's got an intelligence in the Baxter family that she's not even fully aware of, but I think is meant for us to be I think she's a lens through which we're supposed to view the Baxter family. That's always been my take on her. That she's almost this outsider because she represents a too small segment of Jimmy Baxter's heart and brain. So she is an interesting lens to kind of view them through, one that's not fueled by violence and as as the prime way to make things happen. Well, and maybe it's like a pure way of looking at him, like who he could be if there wasn't this crime element, if there wasn't this illegal element. It's like, you know, she, she only sees the good man, the, the, oyster, the man who stands up for The oyster hotel, her. hotelier, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, and not and so, the criminal. I, and and that's and that's wonderful. It's interesting to see how little we've actually gotten between Jimmy and Gina in the last X amount of episodes. It's been a long time since we've seen their interactions. Since that, not, go heat up my soup again. Right, and even that is kind of a throwaway. The last real interaction between them was where she gaslit him into yeah. uh, attacking back at Desire and blow, and which led to the blowing up of the Joneses family a million episodes ago. So yeah, very interesting. But they do treat this love of Adam very, very seriously. And really, I I'm curious if how we thought you know this is going to be his undoing because now because he got so close to Fia, now all of a sudden she's going to turn on him all this stuff's going to happen well hold up maybe it's going to go the exact opposite way maybe by getting so close to her she fallen she falls in love with him maybe this is actually going to be his saving grace maybe but there is always the sword of democles hanging above adam's head that he has lied to fia which was the one thing she said from the get-go and said it forcefully several times do not lie to me and he has built this entire thing on a lie so Absolutely. to to a to a young woman or, or a young man where love is new and complicated and no matter how old soul you are the emotions and the hormones aren't fully developed being lied to as the basis of your relationship when you're 17 18 19 years old maybe a bridge too far where you loved him with all of your heart she says to jimmy i love him with all my heart today finding out he killed rocco and lied about it as a way to meet her tomorrow maybe all that i love him with all my heart evaporates in an instant Here's the other thing, though. I kind of wonder, though, if by having this, if Jimmy knows and is starting to put together, you know, Adam's relationship to this whole thing, the whole Baxter family and kind of honestly, the entire cast of this show is always looking for that little nugget in which to manipulate someone. Mm -hmm. And if you have something on who could be your future son-in-law, you know, that, you know, you could pull his strings for the rest of his life based on this, you may not be so quick to, to spill the beans. You may just want him to know, you know, and you're just going to spend your whole life making sure that Fia gets exactly what she wants anytime she wants it. The whole conversation with Jimmy, and again, this is just another great acting and directing choice, too. The idea of him sitting in the dark while his daughter daughter is, like, reading on the couch, and he's sitting in the same room with her oh, silently, yes. like, like he is, like, uh, about to, like, 
surprise her, but he's obviously it's in the room. So weird. And it has it's so weird. Such a weird way to sit, but he sits still better than anyone else in the game. <laughs> yeah. But how much do you love him with all my heart? And she says, I'd like to meet him now. Now would be good, he says. But he doesn't say it with anger in his voice. He says it almost pleading, almost like I don't know what the actual fuck is happening here. I need to meet this kid the same way Michael needs to always meet people and sit down with them and, and to, to feel them out. Jimmy also is the same way that he doesn't have a vibe for what Adam's deal is. I'm sure he assumes the worst. He assumes that there's something nefarious going on here and he's not wrong, but the idea that he needs to actually meet him, I need to physically be in the presence with this kid to understand the now the now would be good but with urgency but not malice really interesting i i it's hard to crack what's exactly in jimmy's head here i think you hit the nail on the head in that it's it's that true curiosity but like that morbid curiosity of like what is your game kid like what are you trying to pull i know you're not this this pure heart so what are you trying to do here what exactly is going on you know who did not feel like adam has a pure heart mike franny it's franny it's franny franny is such a great book end to this conversation of I, I love him i love him with all my heart because she straight up says and she's trying to do the i'm speaking to you as a friend here not as the woman who loves you even though i love you and you're breaking my heart and i'm crying and blah 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 you know she says you don't love it's a great quote she says you're not in love with her you're fascinated by her you're pulled to her because you killed her brother which is some real fucking truth yeah that's good insight. When he says, you sound like a teacher to her later on, well, she does mm. because she's an adult. Yeah, but I think that that was just the moment of like they transformed from boyfriend and girlfriend to teacher and student. So when he says, you sound like a teacher, it's like, you're not my peer anymore. Right, right. I don't even know you anymore, right? Almost yeah. like it's like her fault that they're in this situation kind of thing. Hey, listen, you know, Franny is a is a is a difficult character because being in love with your student is gross and disgusting. Uh, carrying on, making plans, quitting your job, planning on moving to New York because he's going to be 18 and so it's legal then is all super gross. And I'm going to throw in the 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 um taking advantage of him when he was vulnerable after his mom. Becoming the surrogate mom figure and turning that into an intimate relationship is really bad. Interesting, though. I think it's worth probably discussing, maybe not now, but at some time when we're sitting and thinking about the show, I think it's interesting to discuss whether or not did she do that with intent or did she just fall into that role and leaned she into it? She probably fell into that role, I'm willing to say. But at the same time, that's where your maturity and your 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 being an adult is supposed to say, there's a boundary here that I shouldn't cross. Of course, and it, yeah. And it's really gross. If you're hugging someone because they're crying, they lost their mom, and you turn that into like, let me touch your below the belt, right. you're gross. Like you, you've you've completely exploited the situation. Exactly right, and and you've exploited the situation, and maybe you're not even aware that you're exploiting the situation, but you're absolutely exploiting the situation. So Franny goes through a bunch of different faces in this episode, though, right? Because when she mm. shows up and stalks them at the cafe and comes up, very single white female, very Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction, but the I the I love Vivian Meyer. No, I. Ooh really love her throwing it back at adam with such knowing oh good woman what are you even doing like oh you know what she's doing i know what she's doing but she's walking him down memory lane (laughs) right right exactly but the, the whole thing is just so i mean if i'm adam I'm seconds from vomiting. The, what, yeah, but the, this uh, is perfectly played by her in that. I mean, like she never, she gets, 
can't react. She gets so much information out of Fia. Mm -hmm. So much information with so few questions. Like, it's wild how much is given up. And she can just say a couple lines and, like, prove her point entirely. You know, there could be an entire show that's just told from Franny's POV on this one. That would be fascinating. For sure. Yeah. If if, Right. If there was a bonus episode that retold (laughs) the the story from the way she sees it. But there's a couple of characters, though, that, that works really well from i'd love to see you yeah. know also from like charlie's point of view and, yeah. and watching all this unfold and we're gonna get I to charlie, love charlie. God, i love charlie I love too but charlie, charlie ends this episode in a really precarious position that he doesn't even realize but let's stay oh. with franny though for a second because because on the stoop she positions she pivots to teacher she she pivots to i am concerned for your safety you don't understand how dangerous it is for you to be with fia baxter you're not seeing this correctly what she says to him take responsibility for your actions she doesn't even mean she doesn't even mean uh killing rocco she means Mm -hmm. putting yourself into a dangerous situation with this girl who doesn't know she doesn't know what you've done and i'm gonna throw even a little bit more than that take responsibility for your actions in that you were in presumably a consenting relationship with Franny Mm -hmm. when you went off with Fia. So like take responsibility for what you've done here, what you're doing. Just own it. Be a man, which is all ridiculous, you guys. And I'm putting the huge caveat that we have said over and over, this is a gross dynamic. As cute as Franny is, and as much as they've tried to make them look kind of like peers, the this power dynamic is way off and super gross. Never forget about the power dynamic. Never forget about this and that it is totally wrong. But what she's saying is that you played a role in this game that you're in here and you need to take responsibility for the different parts that you're playing right which i think gets through to i think that part that very narrow part gets through to adam a little bit because i think that's what propels him to confess to charlie in in his Mm. next scene but before we leave her though she she's trying to pivot here and i think unfortunately because as soon as adam says voices out loud you're just jealous it's clear there's clear that 99 percent of everything franny is saying here even though it's true and if it's good advice is not going to get through to adam because he's just chalked everything up to jealous chick kind of yeah. kind of he's reduced her that way unfortunately it's very demeaning the entire thing is very demeaning and not inaccurate though i mean she is jealous well she is jealous but she's also giving good advice she's giving good sound advice that if anyone else was doing it, any other adult if charlie was doing it maybe would get through to adam in a way that at least would give him pause before maybe he doesn't listen because teenagers don't listen you know they think they know the best especially when affairs of the heart are concerned but here's the issue that i have she basically says you have to tell fia or I will. I, yeah. Whoa. But here's the problem, though. You're telling Adam that being involved with Fia Baxter, being who you are, being what you've done, is a dangerous thing because of who Fia is, who the Baxter family is. So does it track that Franny would then go and rat him out to Fia if he doesn't take care of it, I understand that. But if she actually cares about Adam in her gross way, she's going to put him in harm's way by going and telling Fia because she knows that has to put a target on Adam's so back. So she's trying to pull some like you know like girl power, like like her 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 allegiance is to Fia before 
him because you know Kicks over because, dicks is what you're talking about yes yeah i'm trying to not say that but yeah yeah i mean is is i mean i don't know if that's where she's going or is this just like a completely flaccid threat that she's she's never going to do that because she she doesn't want to see adam get killed that's where it's kind of like meh, i don't know i don't i don't believe that she has that much loyalty to fia i don't believe that she needs to be involved in this my take was more she was trying to convince Adam that uh, that he's doing what he's doing is wrong on a couple different levels. One, you're in a relationship with me and you're starting a relationship with this girl. That's wrong. Two, you killed this girl's brother. She doesn't know that's wrong. Three, the Baxters are a dangerous family. Don't be involved with them. That's wrong. And so her panacea is you have to come clean with her or at least break it off with her, or else I'm going to do something that's going to cause that. But anything Franny says about Adam and Rocco puts the crosshairs on Adam's back. Now, maybe Franny goes and tells Fia, I'm the other woman in Adam's life that he hasn't told you about. Maybe that's what she's talking about, because that doesn't necessarily put him on the death list, but it does ruin his relationship with her. I didn't take it as loyalty to Fia at all. I'm not suggesting that. I feel like she's that she's trying to play some game of like, she's got, she's got this integrity that like Fia needs to know. And this is like my you know loyalty to the to the gender kind of thing i'm not saying that we agree with that or that we're saying that oh, i feel no, like that's how the, she's trying yeah. to sell it to adam and i'm like that's so empty like there's nothing there to that that i don't even think even adam's just like you're jealous like i don't even i'm not even hearing you because that just sounds so stupid yeah, no, I see, but I, I agree with all of that except for her motivation. I don't think it's any kind of uh, she's trying to. I don't think she's trying to position herself as loyalty to the to the gender. Oh, I do, and that's why he calls her out and says, "No, you're jealous. That's your motivation." I think he's. I think she's just trying. I think he's. She is just trying to morally shame him slash tell him that he's entered into a dangerous situation that he's not seeing clearly. This whole conversation does get through to Adam a little bit. So he confronts Charlie. He tells Charlie about the two women. One of them is a teacher. Charlie handles it in stride the way a cool Charlie would be. Though I think yeah. his woe is pretty great because what else do you respond to? <laughs> well, I loved it that at first he was like kind of like, "Ooh, look at you play," and then he's like, "Oh man." <laughs> But then he recovers pretty well and he's like, no, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. But then Adam says, this is a code that Adam, Michael and Charlie all kind of talk with each other about this idea of I got it. I got it. I can handle it because Michael and Charlie have also had this conversation of can you handle your business? I've got my business. This goes back to like Lee and you better fuck her to control her yeah. kind of thing. And I, I got it. I got it. So Adam says to Charlie, basically, you don't need to get involved. I'll, I'll take care of it. But obviously, Charlie's going to get involved. And Question he does. Mark, why would Adam have this meeting up with Charlie if he didn't want him to get in the get involved? Charlie seems to have a relationship with Adam outside of Michael as his godfather that he takes very seriously. It's not the first time we've seen them have alone time and Charlie pump him for information, right? He drives him home from the NYU dinner to get him. So I think Charlie has anointed himself as the Adam whisperer, the, okay. the, the cool uncle that he'll tell things to that he won't tell his father. So I think this is probably some combination of regular meeting for breakfast or brunch or whatever they're having and sensing there's something on Adam's mind he wants to get from him. So I get that from Charlie's POV, but why does Adam tell? If he doesn't want Charlie to meddle and he knows that Charlie is going to be concerned, 
Why does Adam spill the beans to him? Well, because I think uh, I think the conversation with Franny, I think the, the conversation with Franny, he makes him feel like he has to voice that he's got two women here and he's made it messy. And I think mm. I think he's looking for advice. But sort of, but not really. He doesn't. But, yeah, any... but confession is good for the soul, though, right? It's the kind of thing okay. we, we want to tell people something. And Charlie is as good a vault from Adam's point of view to tell. Who else can he tell? He's got no one else in this <laughs> life that we've seen. He's got no friends other right. than Franny and other than Fia. Always odd in these shows when they have no friends at all. Fia's got no gal pals. and, and Which is funny, Fia's though, because Carla was shown as having lots of friends. Not only Joey, I but he's got, a, he's, got like a, <laughs> he's got like a whole turd group of friends. <laughs> exactly. The turd herd. So, I mean, he may, maybe he was silent signaling to Charlie that he wanted help. But I really think it was more confession is good for the soul. He's feeling guilty for the first time about juggling two women. The whole idea that I'm with her because I killed Rocco has been completely lost in Adam's shuffle. I really don't think Adam is consciously thinking about that at this point, which is troubling because the worst thing he could do is to lose sight of why he began a relationship with her in the first place. It makes me worry that he's like losing his mental faculties here. Yeah, he's definitely lost sight of the thread. You know, yes. this this started off as I want to get a no. I mean, Franny says it perfectly. That quote, you're pulled to her because of what happened, because of what you did to her brother is is so dead on. And it's just lost in the void of everything else that Franny represents. But I wish he could have heard that line. Obviously, Charlie's not going to leave it. Charlie confronts confronts her. Yeah, we've got the clip here. So let's listen and then we'll take a we'll uh, talk about it. Are you uh, looking for my vote or are you hitting on me? It's a little difficult to tell. I'd have thought you'd be kind of expert on reading what is and isn't appropriate. Miss Latimer. You being a teacher and everything. How did then, you know? See, <laughs> I'm doing the talking now. I want you to listen more carefully than you have ever listened to anything in your life. This can only end badly for you. This comes out that you go to jail. You become a registered sex offender and everything that that brings with it. And your vocation, this thing you love, dead forever. But None of this needs happen if you stop now. Do the right thing, Miss Latimer. You feel me? What about Adam? I got him. You ain't got to worry about that. He told you? Yeah. Was it hard for him? See, I don't think you heard me right. You need to stop it. Step off. I got him. He'll be fine. I don't know. I know my godson. He's 17 years old. Exactly. It's not easy to watch somebody die in the gutter and have to live with the guilt of knowing you did it. And when you're sensitive and sweet and 17... Wait, wait, wait. Adam? Ten minutes. Gotta let me some strings there, Mike. 
uh, the strings of despair. I mean, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie's on a roller coaster tonight. I mean, we'll talk about whiplash. Oh God, he goes right? from step off, woman. Yeah. Uh, he says, step oh, my off. favorite line. I'm talking now. I love that. I'm going to use that in podcasts. I'm talking now. <laughs> but he tells her to step up. But again, he again, using the I got it language that he uses with Michael, that with him and Michael and Adam all use together. He says to Franny here, he gives her the I got it. He's handled kind of language. But so he goes from this power position to wait, 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 wait. I, were you kind of surprised that he acknowledged he didn't know? Because most of the time, people kind of play it cool. They don't go like, wait, 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 wait. They just are like, yeah, I know. You tell me in your words. You know, like something to where they get more information, but they don't completely admit they didn't know. I think because it's such a shocking revelation. I think I think there is a wide spectrum where Charlie uh, handles that much better and much yeah. cooler. But I think this revelation is a step too far in information. He thinks we're just talking about fucking two women, one of which is a teacher. Right. This is a whole other level of... <laughs> right. Well, and he's been involved. I mean, he's been involved in getting rid of the car. He's been involved yes. in this entire thing. So he's starting to put the puzzle pieces together so much more clearly. That scene spooks me out because of how much Franny focuses on how young and innocent Innocent and sweet yes and so to to be sex predator case (laughs) no it is making me feel so extra gross about her the more you say you're young and sweet and 17 oh my god but put that coming out of a man's mouth and everyone says lock him up or it's a 70s it's a song from the 1970s (laughs) there you go (laughs) yeah it's fucking gross Gross. Um, but i have in my notes charlie is shooketh and i think that is the only way to do it and not only because of the reveal about adam sweet adam sweet sweet boy 17 year old adam but because charlie knows charlie knows the broad strokes of this story already because of his aspect of it what he did for michael i think his inability to cover here smoothly is as much about quick math in his head and his and his connections to this as learning about adam i think it all hits him very fast because he's a quick character and i think it hits him very in a very very hard way i was wowed and so happy that charlie is like back in on the scene and taking you know control himself because i think we need this part we need this one thing about that was great about this episode and that we hit the charlie aspect of it and then we're gonna we're gonna be talking about little man in one second it was all season long. You and I have been talking about all these loose threads that were still out there that hadn't been dealt with. Joey on going on the lamb with what he knows. Loose thread. Charlie and his involvement and his relationship to Rudy the cop. Loose thread. Franny disappeared for episodes. Comes back at the end of last week. Loose thread. Yeah. And then Little Man, this wild card because of how he comes to desire and being involved with them. The loose loosest thread. of all threads. The loosest of all threads. <laughs> Maybe maybe the fourteen year old dynamite ready to set this whole thing off and blow it up in the in the finale next week. (sighs) Little little man, man. little Eugene, (laughs) little Eugene. Hey, I love that he's good with numbers, and I really I think his money laundering. I love money laundering schemes are fantastic, and they're so creative. I think this is a really solid one with the church. It really is. It it helps the community. It's a smart plan. And it makes so much sense in the context of this show. It's interesting because the episode starts with Joey being all drugged out of his head, staring up at that church. Yeah. And then you have Little Man actually pitching work with the churches to clean your money. So I love that Little Man is is now comfortable enough and he's feeling himself that he basically pitches his own promotion that he wants to help grow the bank. 
And Big Mo's reaction here, where she clears the room, like she's all laughing, laughing, listen to the music, and she got her people. As soon as money gets involved, Big Mo snaps too and is all fucking business. What did you think of this scene with uh, with little Eugene, uh, little man Eugene, pitching his uh, his business idea? I'm proud of him that he is trying so hard to kind of make things be a little bit less about drugs and a little bit more about just making some bank. Like I, I'm proud of him for that because he seems like now I was disappointed when I hear when I heard the the sound that he said, "Oh, I was drinking." When he was talking with Lee, I was like, "Oh no, little man, you're drinking, you're doing stuff." But he wasn't drinking as much as Little Mo, though, and I think that's important because Little well, Mo. Did you see what Little Mo was making? He was making drink. He was making purple drink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but Little Mo was soft, and that's why he he's got the loose lips. Yeah. I give little I give Eugene a lot of credit here, though, because yeah, he's drinking, but he wasn't drinking like Little Mo was, which tells you something about the maturity level here. Even at even at uh, 13, 14 years old, Little Man is in a lot of ways the the best of them kind of thing you know he's got his shit the most together other than maybe big mo because something tells me big mo probably doesn't get high off of her own supply i think even little mo gets high off the off the supply a little well, bit Well, hilarious so. that he's like honestly he's like making his cough syrup drink when they sell real drugs <laughs> like that's kind of funny well, also maybe he doesn't sample his own business he just he's got he's got his own vices he you does know? have but, his own you know i i'm glad that they're going this way with little man because it makes me feel like he as he's a little guy i mean we're literally calling him little man but he feels more on the level with jimmy baxter than hanging out under the you know the overpass selling drugs talking about laundering money through the churches is like high level compared to that nonsense i have in my notes here little man pitching himself for a promotion to an office job you know he this is this is corporate (laughs) this is the suit and tie version of what desire does and i love that because because it's i want to help with payroll or grow the little bank like he starts it off his pitch starts with either or but those are both office positions like he he knows he's better than slinging drugs underneath an overpass and i like that about him i like that he's got the confidence and i like that they all acknowledge his skills you know uh, stephen hawking is not a great analogy for being a mathematician Uh, yeah that was so weird (laughs) so weird so so weird but i appreciate that they recognize that he's got a skill set here and that she takes him seriously he's just a little kid you know he says grow the bank a little bit she could have just laughed that off and been like oh you know you you were like a little kid you don't know nothing she takes him seriously i like that i like the respect being given to him but lee really did make me think in that conversation about are they keeping you so close because of what happened to your brother because they sold your brother down the mississippi oh i believe so no i definitely this is like keep your friends close and your enemies even closer i think they want to keep an eye on little man they they know that he knows a lot of information he's been on the inner sanctum for some time now so yeah he has been in this like vip let's keep him in the comfort suite and we just know his comings and goings we talked a little bit a lot we talked a bit about lee getting through to little man and and was she all the way there yet? And I think I think you were not convinced that she had fully gotten through, and I was a little more swayed. But at the end of this episode, where she drops the information about Kofi, presents him ironclad information that Kofi was taking his GED and failing horribly um, on it uh, at the time that uh, that Rocco Baxter was killed, proves Kofi is innocent. Proves that someone in the Desire crew did the deed that they set Kofi up to take the fall for. Is this finally the nail that's going to make Little Man walk away from that whole organization? He's just pitched himself this whole new business line in Desire. He's setting himself up. 
I think that it does peel back the layers for him more. I, I think as a viewer, though, it, more significant to me was that we're getting more information about Kofi as well. Like there's the, there's that double side of it where like the idea, Mike, that he actually went to go sit for his GED. The fact that he failed miserably is one thing, but he wasn't satisfied to just be in this gang. He he was trying to get his GED. You want to imagine he was trying to get up and out as well. So there was something about that, that while it was like, okay, this is cold, hard proof that he was sitting for his GED. He couldn't have been the one to commit this murder. It was also terribly tragic that it was like, here was this guy who, again, we had the feels that he was really trying to skirt gang life. I mean, he was trying to be the jokester and try to stay out of trouble. And, he, this this was just such a tragedy. That's that was like my, my first heart feels for it, and then for little man, the way that they just like zoomed in on his eyes, and he says this name Rudy, and you, it, I mean, it's just the camera work just right across his eye line was like, are we? What are we witnessing? Are we seeing little man get hardened by this information? Um, you know what? How is he going to respond? How is this going to propel him forward to either spill the beans or do something way more drastic? Yeah, he's at a crossroad, right? Because he's so young and he's got the hormones and he's got this grief, this close. You are so funny about that. People need to, need to know that we have kids that are in this hormonal period because otherwise we talk about kids and hormones way too much. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> only because when I, right, it's because we're done recording here and I have to go live with it 24 hours a day otherwise. So I, I'm very, very attuned to teenager issues. And there's and a TikTok out right now with this three year old who's singing Leave Me Alone. And my dad sent it to me and was like, This is your middle child. Because she's like, leave me alone. (laughs) It cracks me up. But it is like, oh, my God. And I think that there's a lot of hormones going on in this show, to be honest with you. We've got it with Adam and Fia as well. But Little Man is just, he could go anywhere. He could go anywhere. Right. He's he's the true wild card because he has the intelligence to do the peaceful flipping informant role. But he's also got justified anger and is living in this desire, violence-fueled world. So if he chooses to go violent against those who set up Kofi, that's also believable. So I think he's the he is the truest of the wild cards, right? Franny only has a certain amount of skill sets that she can do. Uh, Joey only has a certain amount of skill sets that he can do. While Eugene Littleman has a wide toolkit of things that he can actually do here. My big worry, what if what if he follows in Famali's footsteps and thinks that the judge can help? And he goes and tells the judge about the GED and that he's positive that Kofi wasn't there and blah, blah, blah. That is my big worry for him is that I hope he I hope this is one of those times when, you know, it's obvious that you can't run to Little Mo and Big Mo. They're they're clearly your enemies. But the people who he thinks are going to be the safe people thinking he could go to the judge, thinking he could go to someone else. Like, is it going to specifically the judge? Is that is it is they will not kill Little Man. They will not kill Little Man. I know they won't. But my God, Mike, what is the ending for him? I don't know. He's got to be the victorious one in the whole thing, almost, doesn't he? It's it's as likely that he ends up being the only surviving member of Desire. Like, he takes over Desire at the end of the series. (laughs) It's as likely that as we see him go off to college. I hope he goes off to college, but yes. Either of those are possible. And I think, honestly, I think either of those are victories for him. We may not approve of the gang lifestyle and drugs and all of that. But within a world and uh, within a set of 
circumstances that life gives you and you have to make the best of running a successful gang and and if you're doing it through money laundering you know that's not the worst thing right versus being being someone who's carrying around a gun and killing people or or you know the other host of undesirable things that he may have to do as a member of desire who doesn't want to be a self-owner He's a tough one because I think it actually moves it from a gang to more like the mafia. He's he's more yes. of a Jimmy Baxter, right. you know, more, right? More right, exactly. Than he's it more. is like you know street gang, and so I I appreciate that. I appreciate him wanting to. It sounds kind of like an interesting, um, you know, echelon kind of situation. But it's like you know, if you put street gang and like violence and stuff at one level, and then you put mafia where you get to like live in a hotel and you know it's this you're wearing a suit every day and all this stuff. Like no, really, there's no difference between these these two dealings, but you have a much different quality of life for those that like little uh details and like little easter eggs and pause screens uh just a quick rundown of how kofi did in his ged his strongest subjects ended up being language arts in reading and writing but his biggest number actually being the 75 is on the science line his worst was math at 15 and social studies at 21 now it's interesting and this is a little goof in the show which i found entertaining and because it's an easter egg i'm going to share it if you freeze frame there's an explanatory box next to the scores and it actually has science in the science box it says you did not meet the score eligible to pass and under social studies it says he did um which would be consistent with him doing well in language arts classes that he would also then do well in social studies versus science and math where there he does bad but score wise they actually have social studies as his failing grade and science as his biggest passing grade so it's an interesting little uh, a little like flub of the of the lines and the description boxes so hmm. people people forget that if someone is sitting there making there's there's some prop yeah. person some a set decorator that's making all of this mail and all this information like that was that was like a fully addressed forwarded email the uh, forwarded piece of mail that lee opens with the forwarding sticker on it and fully addressed i froze i freeze I took screenshots of all of it. This GED score sheet is like fully filled out with all of Kofi's information. So I, I think it's really information that I, I love that someone sat there and made this thing. What did you think about this this bomb drop that Rudy was nervous about? about little man joining the crew well sure i mean you gotta make it makes sense for rudy's point of view right he has to be very careful seeing as that rudy has thrown in with covering for desire and using him for a thing that turned into such a snowball you know when rudy got the call from charlie to make a car disappear rudy never i imagine in a million years um thought it would turn into this right this should have just been a car delivered to a chop shop or to a landfill and gone. If that happens, if Kofi gets that car sooner and never gets pulled over by the cops, this series ends after episode two and goes nowhere. Uh, Rudy could not have possibly imagined it would have turned into such a snowball clusterfuck that it has and really has put him in the crosshairs. Did you expect Rudy to be a police officer or did you assume Rudy was a fellow gang member? No, I knew, I knew Rudy. We knew that Rudy. I did not remember that Rudy was him when he when he said Rudy. I was like thinking, okay, like who's this gang member? Oh who's no, like so an issue. No, so I yeah. was like very like all right when when they revealed and it was a reveal. I mean, that's why they went down to say Rudy Cunningham, arresting officer. I mean, it was a reveal. Right. Most of the audience, I don't think, probably remembered that Rudy was the dude back by the basketballs. I think Rudy's such an interesting name, and Rudy Cunningham, and the way he looks. <laughs> so, so Rudy was the guy, right? Rudy is the guy that Rudy is. Charlie 
Charlie's guy on the police force, which struck me as being some weird twist of fate that mm-hmm. the thread that gets pulled ends up not being Cusack, really. I mean, even though Nancy's been dancing around Cusack connecting to the Baxters, it's actually going to be Rudy being the connection between Desire and Charlie back to Michael. That's the one that gets exposed by Lee. That just seems like... I, you know, there's two paths in the wood. There's a fork in the road. Which bad cop do you expose first? It's almost unfortunate that it's Rudy that's going to get exposed first and not Cusack, which is kind of sad. But uh, yeah, no, Rudy was the one. He's the one who wrote Charlie is always promising you'll be my chief of police when I get made mayor. Oh, that's yeah. Rudy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, Rudy had stuck in my head. So as soon as Kofi had dropped that, and again, we heard about Big Mo during the funeral. Big Mo is talking about Rudy in front of Little Man, and Little Man doesn't even realize that when she says we pay him $5,000 so we don't need to go stealing cars for him when he calls. That's all Rudy that she's talking about there. Little Man just didn't put that together. He didn't know the name and the cop and the role. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I listen. The, the, Lee Lee is another of those loose threads that has been on her own mission. She's been this uh, her own dog with a bone in this series that no one has really been keeping a good eye on. Okay, can I ask you? Like, I understand that like our storyline has to keep moving forward, and there's so many things happening. You know, I really feel like there's plenty to go for a season two. But how are they? How are they acting as if Lee and Michael are not talking to each other right now? Well, all Michael does is things to cover up his son committing murder. I, I don't know how much they're actually talking to. Remember, the last time we saw them, things were a little bit strained because she had just been fired by her law firm and then they had to go to this surprise birthday party that she had put together for him. As far as we know, that's the last kind of interaction they have. And things were a little bit icy. Like he says, I love you as like a distraction, but she doesn't right. like say it back to him. And things were kind of icy there. It's a little weird, though. Like, that relationship is so odd. You know, like, it, it just pretend they're friends. It's still odd. The ups and downs and the, like, hang on a minute. They didn't, they haven't talked at all, but, like, yet she came over in her tousled hair and her pink cheeks and whatnot. Like, wait, 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 wait. What is happening here? Like, I don't, that relationship is very uneven for me in terms of just writing. Like, I, I, they, I'm sure it's one of those things where they just can't fit everything into every episode. Right. But... I mean, a phone call, a something, a check-in now and then, a text, a something that would imply that the two of them actually still interact with each other. Because otherwise, she is just a completely side character that has nothing to do with Michael. Until she does. Uh, she has nothing to do until with Michael. she does. She has nothing to do with Michael <laughs> until the chickens come home to roost. And she then very much has something to do with Michael, which is going to be unfortunate with him that he's allowed that thread to get away from him. He, mm-hmm. if Michael, Michael, especially when she's the one who tipped him off about Carlo being arrested for Kofi's murder, Michael needs to be doing a better job of keeping tabs on all of his loose threads. And he has let Lee like go do too much side work and not keeping tabs on her on him when this all blows up inevitably in michael's face and and things go sideways and don't end well for him because i'm convinced they cannot end well for michael one way or another one of the things he's going to look back on in his final moments is going to be that he didn't keep better track of what lee was doing Mm. And he pulled her in the first place. And that, well, and, and he pulled in Nancy. It still goes, it still goes back to bad decisions that he made after he made good decisions. He initially yeah. made good decisions when he was going to have Adam do the right thing. And then ever since then, ever since he left that police off, uh, police station and didn't beg Lee off and didn't beg Nancy off and just say it was nothing. Ever since he made those two decisions, it's all been heading in this one direction for him, which takes us to the last scene of the episode. 
Michael and Adam, who have very rarely crossed paths recently, see each other as Adam is gay. He's gotten a summoned to go meet Fia and her father, and he's leaving the house as Michael comes home from his running. And Michael says, well, all right, well, you go be with your girl and I'll wait up for you, which weird. And felt bad. That whole shot, that whole camera work of of the of the um, like pulling away from Michael. What does that feel to you when the, the oh, camera it's... pulling away? What does that tell you as the closing shot of the penultimate episode of this series? I mean, for the most part, it feels like you know this would be Adam's death or at, or Michael's death. Like this would be the last time they would see each other because there's it's like a farewell. I have in my notes here. This is this feels like the last time these two are going to see each other. That's exactly how it feels. Whether it's Adam gets whacked by Jimmy or uh, my my here's here's my prediction, and we can do predictions now for this final episode and any other final question. If you have a final question that you you definitely want answered, uh, let's talk about that. But my final prediction is that Adam somehow is becomes held hostage by jimmy in exchange for michael finishing out his work on carlo because carlo still has to testify that trial's still not done even though the key witness that would have put him away forever was not able to testify that trial still is going on carlo is still being prepped because he's presumably about to take the stand in the next day or two so michael still has work to do as the judge so jimmy is not going to he's going to keep his powder dry until that's run its course but i feel like he is going to end up somehow keeping adam hostage you know i've got your son now kind of picture on the burner phone to keep michael in line because you know jimmy could not have been happy with the switcheroo in the courtroom about the Joey thing, right? Because he told he had made a deal with uh, Michael had told Jimmy, I'm going to, you know, give you a night to get rid of Joey. And then he switches into court, even though it worked out in Jimmy's favor, you know, Jimmy could not have been happy about that audible being called. And so I feel like he's going to actively use Adam as a control device to keep Michael in line. And then what happens after that? I, I feel like the odds are low on Michael making it out of this season alive. So I would agree with you to a point on this. If we hadn't hammered home the idea that Fia's in love with Adam, I I don't know how you have a friendly hostage situation. And if you don't have a friendly hostage situation, then we're basically throwing away the the Jimmy-Fia relationship. I don't think Jimmy's willing to do that. I don't know. This has to be trickier than that. There has to be more layers to it than a simple, I've got him and I'm hanging on to him until Carlo walks free. Even though that makes good sense, it would be fine if Fia wasn't in play. That's where I get kind of like, you know what? There's going to be something more weird. Maybe it's a more metaphorical farewell. Maybe it's a more like Jimmy's going to, you know, entice him into the Baxter clan. And basically, uh, what what an interesting twist. Michael didn't want to lose Adam to the Baxters, meaning his death. But what if he loses Adam to the Baxters, meaning he sucked into their family? I love the metaphor of that. I just want to back up, though, for one thing, though. So this all hinges on whether or not Jimmy reveals or Adam reveals to Fia that Adam is the one who killed her brother. Because if they keep that information from her, if there's some conversation where Fia is ushered out of the room and Jimmy and Adam have a man-to-man talk about it, and they come to an agreement that my daughter loves you, 
it will break her heart if she finds out what you did and that you've lied to her and that's going to make me kill you. That kind of ultimatum is maybe the thing that holds on to him. Maybe Fia doesn't have to know. Maybe Jimmy arranges for Adam to be hostage without realizing he's a hostage. You know, stay here. You come hang out with us. You know, you got my daughter here. We'll go to the whatever. And Can I throw out that maybe it's just going to be psychological hostage? Like, so that even is more messy because then Michael has a Baxter in his own house. Maybe, but but here's the, this all gets down to, and I think goes towards the Fia equation. This all goes towards if Fia finds out that she's been lied to, because I think over love, I, I think the show spent a lot of time telling us that Fia doesn't want to be lied to and is forceful about it, mm-hmm. but with the, 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 the vigor with which she said it and the number of times that she said it. I think if she finds out that Adam lied to her at the start of their relationship, and all the things that that will then unleash about getting close to her and why did you meet me in the first place and all of that, I think Adam becomes a lot more expendable and becomes much more a much more traditional hostage. I think if they decide not to tell her that, then I like your idea a lot of him being a Baxter in the Desiato house. But here's the thing that I, that I know about teenage girls. Teenage girls never pat on the back those that expose the lie. So Jimmy doesn't get to continue to be Jimmy, her daddy, if Mm. Jimmy is the one that exposes the lie. I'm telling you, that's not how it works. If they write that differently and she goes running to her daddy and leans against his chest, that's a bunch of bullshit. She is going to be not happy if someone blows up her relationship. But but I go back to Jimmy doesn't actually ever do his dirty work himself. That's what makes him the boss of this family. He, I think in the situation that I have in my head is he tells in this one-on-one man-to-man conversation, he tells Adam, you if they go down this road of fia finding out you tell my daughter what you did and if she chooses to still love you then i keep you alive if she doesn't i'm gonna do i'm gonna do whatever my daughter wants but you have to tell her the truth and then because that then exonerates from jimmy from being the one it allows him to still be daddy daddy but see but fia doesn't want to know this that's the thing again like the information being given to fia in any form or fashion isn't a gift you know, it's ruining her relationship regardless of of the fact that Jimmy isn't the one that physically tells or whatever. It's that it's that it's going to blow up that she loves this guy. So it is that's why I think the focus on you love him. Think of how many times people said you love him. It was Gina. It was Jimmy. It was Fia. Everybody kept like trying to, yeah, like quantify it. There's a reason for quantifying it. Oh, I agree. It, it, you know, there there is something about that that keeps him they're they're uh they can't blow up that relationship and they know they can't blow up that relationship so it there's more there's got to be more finesse there and i honestly believe because they all thrive on manipulation it's kind of like you know how like when i joke around that like i like it when something small goes wrong on vacation because then it's like my leverage to be able to get some discount this is something about me This is a little like that. Like, if you're going to have a guy come into a relationship with the daughter that you love, you want to have some something on him that manipulates him to no end. Because that way, you can always have your way. She's not leaving New Orleans. She's not going somewhere else. She's hanging here and and running the hotel and all that stuff because you call the shots in that relationship. Right. Well, I mean, I think the idea of turning Adam into a Baxter is, is fascinating and something that Adam 
probably would be into it. He's already thinking about the gap year staying in NOLA, right? Yes. And that's presumably because he wants to be hanging out with Fia, who obviously is not going anywhere, it seems, anytime soon. And so it, they've already kind of laid the groundwork for him to have free time to be with her and maybe learn the quote-unquote hotel business. Mike, uh, haven't we seen the concept before where it's something, and I'm not, I'm not going to say this exactly right, so help me through this a little bit, where... Where the worst thing that the villain can do is to actually get your little one or your wife or your whatever to fall in love with him, the villain. It's like he's got every he took everything from you. The person's still alive, but it's like that much worse that the person willingly chooses to go off with the villain because they're in love with them now. You, I've seen this in a storyline before. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a trope. It's the idea of there are things. It, it's part of the trope of there are things worse than death. Yes. Right. That 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 losing your child to someone else while they're still alive is a constant reminder that you have to live with, whereas death is permanent and you're not worried about what happens after you're dead. The idea that Michael would have to continue to live, especially with all that Michael has done and sacrificed of himself to right. keep Adam safe, the idea that then Adam would turn and walk right into the lion's den himself voluntarily with, with literal with yeah. metaphorical bells on yeah. is 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 another is another shot in the stomach to to michael yeah. you know yeah. not not only did he not keep his son safe after it but now his son is like He's firmly been delivered to the devil <laughs> what's a question that you're looking forward to being answered in this finale uh, for me, it's about Robin. For me, it's about that Robin story, it, 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 which has nothing really to do, actually, with Rocco's death, which has been the central theme. But since the get-go, since we learned, uh, since we asked why was Adam down in the lower ninth putting the flowers in the picture in front of Yaya's store, has yeah. been a question I have had. What is the deal with the mother and her, and her death and the and the car and the gang members and the aggressive nature with which they went at Adam? All of that has been a question in my brain since... And so just finding out then when we found out that she was murdered in the conversation with Michael and Nancy, all of that together has been this consistent thread that I really want to know the answer to. I think you're right, because I think that that is what got this entire ball rolling. Even though we think it was the accident, that's not right. That The impetus was even before the affair. It was it was what was happening and, and what led to the affair. And then the fact that you're right, that that black SUV was like chasing him now. Well, that's because he was driving his mother's car, too. Um, so let's not forget that that was probably a recognizable vehicle down there. Well, well we have, right? presumably that car and that and Robin's death is a hot button issue in the in lower ninth because of desire yeah. because either you either you either loved robin or you disliked robin but she was a key figure for some amount of time in the desire network exactly so that car would be a trigger regardless and and interesting to think that the, there are certain members of desire that would also be very sensitive to the anniversary of robin's death that maybe those guys were hanging out at yaya's for their own kind of memorial maybe people were on high alert in the lower ninth that day of all days because it was the anniversary of her death that maybe her anniversary wasn't just significant to michael adam and senator grandma maybe there were members of desire that were particularly attuned to october 9th 
I, I like that very much. And I think that that's probably the, the biggest meatiest part of the story for me that I want to get to because it really gets back to Michael and Adam. And, you know, I want to know everything about little man and where he ends up going. I want to know what happens with, with Franny and all that stuff, but really I want to get back to Michael and Adam and Robin and what was going on with this family to get where we got to. I, I would love to get that, that backstory and find out how in the world did she get involved with all this? Senator Graham has got to know more than she's copping to at this point. So we'll see what she's going to reveal. She seemed, she seemed real teary learning about her daughter's infidelity because I agree with you that it was set up to us that, that Senator Grandma's issues with Michael always seemed like that it was Michael was the one having an affair. Specifically that, with Lee. Specifically Lee. That when Lee shows up, it really is just confirmation of this thought that Senator Grandma already had in her head knowing about her her son-in-law and her daughter's marriage through the point of view of her daughter and whatever she told her about their marriage. So you have to imagine what a shot in the gut that it turns out it was actually your daughter was the one that was cheating that maybe soured that relationship, that soured that marriage. That's got to be hard for her to swallow and curious to see how she reacts and maybe tries to cover up whatever to protect the image and memory of her daughter. So another loose thread that we haven't even considered. As we go into episode 10 oh, here. Oh, Senator Grimm has always been on the board. Ever since her face peeped up, we were both like, hang on a second. Well, you don't get Margot Martindale to play a, to play an invisible character. You get her to be Mm-mm. to break the bink guns when it matters. So, so thinking about that, she's got to be the linchpin moving forward because because of the casting i'm, I'm gonna stick with that because yeah, right. while charlie could do something while little man could do something lee could do something when you cast Margot martindale she has to be the heavy hitter right so you it's gotta Margo be Mar- senator grandma and you can yeah you cast Margot martindale but you also make her a character who has power yes she's a senator you don't make that character and cast her with Margot martindale unless it's gonna come to bear in some kind of important way I agree. I, so that's what I'm most looking forward to is is her role and then that Robin backstory. I think that those are the most exciting. I think you could go for season two, season three, season four, and continue on with Lee and Little Man and and following what happens with Fia and the Baxters and all. And that that's that's the story growing forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for that. But but if we want to know the answers to this story, we need to know what happened before. We need the antecedent. Every action has a reason why it happened, right? And so... It's the antecedent. It's the antecedent. Why was Adam in the lower ninth putting flowers there? Because of Robin and his... and his. The ABCs, Mike. Antecedent right. behavior consequences. There you go. Let's find out mm-hmm. what the antecedent was. Why was Let's Robin... find out. Why was Robin there? So, uh, guys, it's going to be a... Whatever happens next week is going to be a wild ride. And it's been a wild ride, Mike. I appreciate your insight on this because this has been a crazy time. I do want to speak of a quick little wild ride. I love that they inserted the little um, nighttime bike rides. Those are real in New Orleans. Oh, my God. I had in my note and we just didn't get a chance to talk about it. But that's how that scene starts with the, with the fun music and the bikes. I love that. That's a real thing. You can rent the bike and it's, they're all lit up like that. And uh, New Orleans is actually, I read up, uh, the third most bike-friendly city in the nation. So super fun. And it, they do like bike parades with it. So they play music and it's at night and it's all lit up. Super fun and cute. So I love that they continue to layer in that that New Orleans vibe. 
it's like those cities where they have uh i think it was in i think it's philadelphia where they have like the 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 trolley cars that go down the street with like bars and you just have like oh yeah they do that in austin too yeah Yeah. they're not they're uh they're they're bicycles yeah you like pedal they're pedal bars i love that i love that (laughs) super funny not so fun in austin might be more fun in and san francisco seems like quite a bear too those are those are some hilly roads austin the problem is that you're sweating like crazy so best not want to look cute afterwards (laughs) new orleans too though from what you said so oh yeah very true that true that but uh but i think that those those beach comer big fat bicycle tire things that would be fun to just ride around i think you'd have a great time looking forward to next week join us at tales from yaya's this is caroline and this is mike be sure to join us next week for february 14th it's gonna be valentine's day that's crazy that it falls on v-day the finale is on valentine's day we'll see what love survives love the most powerful magic of all to end our harry potter corner oh don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Tales from Yaya's Your Your Honor podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us five stars, that would be great so that we don't have to drug you with fentanyl and break your ankle. <laughs> Gosh. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.